2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is a lot to talk about. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, call me Brad. I've been very excited about today's interview for a little while now. I locked it in maybe about two months ago. And the reason I'm thrilled and excited about this is because today's guest is not only a sporting legend, but he's also an incredible storyteller and speaker with a really moving message. We're talking about an All Blacks legend and World Cup winner an incredible coach and mentor for so many across the world in the the sport of rugby, but also a mentor when he stands on stage to speak with a really powerful message about mental health that I think will cut through and really resonate with so many of us here in this day and age. Ladies and gentlemen, from your home, your car, or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Sir John Kerwin. How are you, mate? Wow, brother, I I better take that. That was awesome. Thank you. Mate, you deserve it. You're you're a great man, and I've only just met you literally two minutes ago. But there's something about you. You just you seem like a character. You've got you've got something about you. It's just like an aura that I think I, I was really attracted to what you were saying in your show reel when I come across your speaking page, and I guess really enticed to to sit down and have a conversation about your life and your story because on the surface, if we look at you and your success, um, it's a story of I guess, really uplifting success. And it's so inspiring for so many, like an All Blacks legend who has won World Cups, who has these incredible tries and highlight reels online that you can look at in awe and be inspired by. But there is so much more to you than that. There's a story that you've had to come overcome some real adversity to be the man you are, to be where you are right now. And for me, that's the most inspiring thing, what you've overcome and, and the challenges along the way. So, Yeah, look, I, yeah like... Firstly, I get really uncomfortable when people talk about me. So that's really interesting, isn't it, Brad? Like, so I thank you for the introduction and, and stuff. Um, but I think that the, fir- the first point to whoever is listening is I'm still not done. I'm still not over getting better, improving myself. Um, I still, you know, battle with self-doubt, imposter syndrome. I still battle with all, all of those. But I think the, the biggest the biggest thing for me was my reference to, to mental health was One Flow of the Cooker's Nest. And you're probably way too young to remember that movie, right? But it was a movie um, where uh, Jack Nicholson basically gets locked up in a mental institution and he's sane, um, but he goes through this whole process. Now, my my understanding and my um, lack of knowledge around mental health nearly killed me. So I was, a, I was an all black. Um, I was completely on top of my game. And I was having anxiety attacks and I didn't know what they were, right? And so I just ignored them. I always remember the first time I had an anxiety attack, I was um, on a radio show. Well, this wasn't the first time, but this was this was crippling, the first crippling one, right? Um, where I couldn't actually do what I set out to do, which in this case was to drive a motor car. So I'm on radio, I'm talking code, I'm in the studio, you know, you, you know what... Uh, the DJs are like in the morning, man, they're up, you know, and he cracked a bottle of champagne. We're having a glass of champagne and, you know, we're having a real good time. And, you know, I, I, I go down into my car after the interview and my whole world changes. It's like being in a sardine can. It starts squeezing me. Right. And I start sweating. My heart starts going and, and, and I'm hanging onto the wheel and I'm too scared to drive. Um, because I knew if I drove the car, I was going to drive it off the Harbour Bridge or drive it into a pole at 150K. Um, And so it's the first time I had suicidal ruminations with my, um, you know, with my anxiety attack. I didn't know what it was, man. And it scared me shitless. And I sat there for an hour because I could not drive. And then I drove home as slow as possible because I was scared of myself. 
Um, went to bed, woke up a few hours later, felt pretty good. Thought, shit, I'm not having champagne in the morning. That's no good for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I completely ignored it. Um, so I was hiding all these moments in my life, had no understanding around it. Like I said, I thought I was going insane, was going to get locked up with Jack Nicholson. Um, and they were real fears. I had all these self-doubts that I'd never dealt with until it came to a head on an all-black tour in 1990. Um, so I was lying in bed. I'd just finished an anxiety attack and I was sick of fighting this, right? Because um, when you're in this hell, a minute feels like an hour, an hour feels like a day, a day feels like a week. So at the end of each day, I was so tired of fighting this thing in my head. Um, and so I just decided to run and jump out of the window uh, on the 10th of the Hilton in Buenos Aires. And the guy lying next to me said, JK, you've got a good heart, right? Um, and he saved my life. He didn't know why he said it at the time. I don't know why he said it. We, we talk about it. Um, He's also a legend of the game, Sir Michael Jones. We often talk about it now. And he said, God must have told me. I said, shit out if God knows who I am. I'm pretty happy about that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, so I didn't jump out the window. And I kept saying to myself for the next sort of 50 hours, every minute, you've got a good heart, JK. You've got a good heart, JK. You've got a good heart, JK. And that got me through a game the next day. I scored two tries. It was irrelevant. Mm. Uh, I was like living in a dream. It was like watching myself from the stand. Um, and I finally got home and, and reached out and got some help because I was so scared of me and so scared of those moments. And I was so scared of the suicidal ruminations. I never planned my own suicide. And for that, I feel forever grateful. Um, so the lack of knowledge and the lack of understanding and the lack of actually ability for us to teach society about mental health. <laughs> Why have we left it in a cupboard? for a hundred years, you know, um, and not taught anyone about it. So, so for me, uh, you know, those, those things were really, really, really incredible moments in my life where I didn't want to live through to actually going and learning about mental health and learning about how I can look after myself every day. And, you know, and then a few years later, this is probably the longest answer you've ever had for one question. Oh, you probably want to switch. I love it, mate. I love it. Keep it rolling going shit please switch it off um yeah so so i think you know what what i what i decided to do the first thing i decided to do so i went to the doctor and he said two things that changed my life he said jk it's an illness not a weakness right because i just didn't think i was good enough because the illness takes away your self-esteem takes away your self-confidence takes away enjoyment of life and life's pretty shitty without those three things right but i just thought it was me i just thought i couldn't cope it was this and that you know what i mean um and then uh, the second thing he said to me is, you know, and you can you can cure it. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm not going insane? Wow, you're not going to ring the doctor, you know, you're not going to ring the ambulance and put me in a straitjacket and lock me up in a mental asylum? And that was a real fear. You know, it was a real, real fear for me, you know. Um, and I can sort of joke and laugh about it now, but it's no laughing matter at the time. It was a real, it was a real fear, you know. So just going to the doctor, if you think you're going to be locked up in an asylum, um, is is a pretty pretty big thing to do so the first thing i did uh brad was i accepted my illness you know i never gave up but i stopped fighting it because half the time i was fighting it mm. um, and that was really really taking my energy away mate it's it's so moving to me to hear this because i think the thing that's most terrifying about a mental health story is that for so many people it's it's a silent experience like from the outside, you talk about your mate there, Michael, who was able to give you those very encouraging and kind words at the mo at that moment in time that likely saved your life. And you think about the fact that there were no real visual representations of your struggle on the surface that he was able to see, but rather it's something that was happening with inside your body. And so without communication, without sharing, without being able to get vulnerable and honest and accepted, as you said, and, and have people to lean on that so many people are fighting this battle by themselves. And I just think it's, it's so moving what you said, because for so many people, I'm sure they can relate to not knowing how to share that. Now I know for you, but it's, hard, it's hard to share, man. Like, like, so the part of the trouble that I've got um, that I had was an unwell mind can think some really crazy things, right? Um, one day I walked past a knife on the kitchen bench and thought I'm going to stab myself or stab someone else. And, and, you know, um, 
what I've what I've learned to understand for a healthy mind is that's just a stupid thought, JK, and you have those dumb thoughts all the time and let them go, which you do in a normal, you know, it's just something dumb that comes through your mind. Um, an unwell mind would grab that and run with it, you know, and I would end up in bed shaking. So so the pain and the reality is real, and that's that's why it's really, really hard. Um, you know, you there's no way I could have said that to you when I was suffering, right? There's no way I probably could have said it to the doctor. The doctor might've thought I was really high risk and actually, you know, took it to the next level. So, so the education around what we're suffering. So I was a, a clinically, a, a clinic, I, I got clinically depressed, right? So I was an anxiety-based depressant, right? But what I didn't know about anxiety, and when I look back retrospectively, I was probably an anxious child, but we didn't do anything about it right um you know i was probably having anxiety attacks and just ignoring them when i was 13 14 15 right and our parents in their and their, their day um you know and it's not their fault they just go oh he's shy or he doesn't want to go or you know and so i think the educational piece the preventative educational piece around what it is because the first thing i did is i threw myself into the far end of mental health which is you know possibly bipolar or schizophrenia you know so i was i was relating my illness to a lot of a lot of the people who can be right down the end of the spectrum now you know people can live with schizophrenia if they if they you know if they get it early enough and they have the right doctors and stuff and and same with bipolar so there's different i, I see it like a spectrum right mm. so i was anxiety based depression i didn't know this shit i had no knowledge i didn't know what it was so i couldn't compare myself to anyone i didn't have any points of reference i didn't have any hope i didn't have anything you know and that's what we need to change the more we talk about it you know the more people understand about it then the more you can go well, okay i'm there you know you think about all the other illnesses how many forms of cancer are there oh, so many too many to count you know and people will and i don't like to use other illnesses as a reference but you know um this is a really really interesting thing for me i'll tell you a story right so i play touch in the summer right over 50s we are shit we used to be really good now we're shit right <laughs> we can't win anything which is really depressing but anyway um excuse the pun but anyway like uh a mate of mine comes around my place and he said oh jk you know when i was playing touch the other night you see that sidestep i made i said no nah, i'm not not really and he said oh you know when i accelerated through the gap i said no nah, i didn't see that either but so good old male banter and we're talking about um you know footy and talking shit and he said uh Oh, but that's not what I'm here for, JK. I said, oh, what's up? He said, oh, I'm here to talk about, um, you know, I've got a case of the JKs. I think I'm depressed like you. And I'm like, oh, shit. Um, what what makes you think that? He said, oh, I'm feeling this way. And I said, oh, yeah, so why are you talking to me? <laughs> you know? Um, and because you know what he said to me about his knee that he heard it touch. He what said, oh, I iced it after the game. I said, oh, sweet, good idea. And then he said, I went, I went to... Um, I went to the doctor the next day and he said, look, I think you've done your ligaments, but I'm only a GP. Why don't you go and see the specialist? And the guy said to me, and guess what? I went to Sonny Bill Williams specialist. I said, shut up. I hope you get his abs, a bit of pace and that offload. Mate, we'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? If you get the same doctor, maybe you can pass some of that shit off. So good banter. And we're having this banter, right? Um, and then he says, look, I'm doing some prehab. I'm going to get operated in three weeks' time and I'll be back on the touch field in six months. And I said, well, no one really gives a shit, mate, but good, I'm pleased for you. <laughs> um, but then when he mentioned about his mental health, I said, what have you done about that? He said, I'm talking to you about it. I said, mate, I'm a butcher, right? So you think about what we do for our physical health. What do we do with our mental health? We start having these problems. We start feeling burnout, start feeling anxiety, we start feeling tension. What do we do? Yeah, we just we just keep quiet. We don't see the specialists. We and it's funny you say this, JK, because even thinking of it now, especially as men, we share less and we we take less interest in our mental health because of the stigma around it. But when it comes to that injury, we talk about, hey, I soldiered on, I ran that marathon on a bodgy leg. Like, how tough yeah. am I, right? But we don't yeah. we don't talk about or own or accept the fact that we're challenged mentally if we are and and we don't see the right people and and i love that you relate it back to that because i can imagine that so many guys would feel more comfortable about this idea that that it's a normal thing you know there's been yeah. times in my life you know i've i've 
hand on heart, very thankful that I've never been challenged with depression at this point in my life. I'm 27. And, and I think about, you know, often how sometimes what I do, can be quite stressful. And I think really, I should go see someone just so I've got that support there. Just so if I do have like a weak moment or a moment where I feel challenged that I can, I can lean on someone and know that I've got that support system there. Cause it's not a bad thing to have, you know, yeah, and I, I think, um, you know, you're obviously ambitious, you know, the, the thing I talk about is you have no more capacity in your brain, right? Because mm. technology has overtaken us all. So your bandwidth is over, right? You have more inputs today than your grandparents had in a lifetime, right? So we've got to free it up. No one's mm. going to free it up. You know, when was the last time your inbox was empty? You know? Oh, mate, never. And that's the thing. So, so you've got to free it up and you've got to free it up with really, we've got to start talking about mental health like we spoke about fitness, right? Most people know now that you need to do something, right? The trouble is the trouble is that we get pushed all the extremes of sport. Like I say, it's about diet, you know? Should we um, eat, uh, you know, paleo, julio, bloody vegan, vegetarian, or stuff it, I'll just open a packet of chips and have a glass of wine. <laughs> but, but we get pushed all these things now. So we have to decide. You get pushed fitness, but you always see the perfect body, perfect woman body, the perfect male body. But what we do all know, that is you should try and move every day. Could mm. be gardening, could be walk the dog, could be whatever it is, right? So all of the world goes to the extremes. Everyone's beautiful, you know, everyone's got a great life. But the reality is we need to learn about mental health like we've learned about, um, you know, smoking in the 80s. We all used to have a dart and a few beers, you know, in the middle 80s, who no one gave really a shit. Then by the end of the 80s, people used to say to us, actually, that's probably not good for you. And you've got a choice. Anyone who smokes today, and I don't judge them, um, I have the odd cigar myself, but you know the risks, mm. right? So we need, to, we need to start educating our kids. We now start educating our workplaces, and we need to start talking about mental health. So we know, right? What you're talking about is preventative. You should go and see someone and talk about the stress because you will be stressed. It's natural in life. You know, you might feel a bit burnt out at times. And you just get these tools that you can put in your day that are going to help you free up that space that you need. Yeah, I love that you just use the word tools because it's something I've been talking to my partner about a little bit recently. So for the better part of like three or so years, I've been doing what I love and I'm really passionate about every day. I've been sharing incredible conversations with people like yourself. I've been doing some speaking in the keynote world. I've been doing some workshops at schools where I share stories and connect with them on the things like purpose and resilience. And when my week looks like that, JK, I'm flying. Like I'm on top of the world. Like I love what I do. I think for me, when I'm passionate and feel very connected to purpose, my mental health is in a great place. But just a couple of weeks ago, like a month ago now, I started a bit of a nine to five to keep the head above water and to keep things a little bit more financially afloat. And it's a nine to five that exactly hasn't been great for my mental health. And I've been in this industry a couple of times. It's a real estate space and it, it always sort of knocks a little bit of the wind out of me. And I found myself the last couple of weeks trying to juggle everything over seven days, quite stressed. And I'd never had anxiety before, but the other night, like two weeks ago, sitting in bed, starting to get a little bit tight in the chest, breathing a little bit heavy, starting to feel a little bit stressed and quite emotional. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. Like I started to check my heart rate. I'm like, am I having an issue with my heart? And then I'm like, hold on. I'm thinking a lot about the fact that I'm walking back into the office tomorrow. Like, is this what anxiety feels like? And I've experienced that a couple of times over the course of the last few weeks. And the reason I mentioned what you said about tools is I thought, well, now that I'm busier, more stressed than ever, and a little bit of what's on my plate, I'm not handling all that well. I should have a couple of tools there on my tool belt that I can pull out during this time. Yeah. And so for me, for the first time ever, as a guy who is so impatient and just has this addiction to dopamine and stimulation of like always wanting to do something interesting, I thought, I think I need to start meditating. Yeah, nice. I think I need to start doing something before I get into bed at night or when I wake up in the morning just to really center my thoughts again and put me back in a place of, of a little bit more steadiness and calm. And so I think that's something that for all of us, like you said, building a little bit of mental fitness and understanding what we can do to keep ourselves in tip top shape. Because let me tell you, mate, I do not struggle to get out of the house and go for a run. I do not struggle to, to eat pretty well. I do like my fair share of chalky, but 
you know, most of the time I can take care of my physical body because it's been so ingrained in me. Yeah. But the mental health stuff is something that we're all learning and pretty new to in the scheme of things. I have to ask if we, if we cast your mind back to that first moment that you shared where you spoke about having that real crippling anxiety attack in the car, what do you think spurred that on? Is that just a compound of, of the stress and the challenge of mental health or were there particular things that you could pick up on that were really a, a precursor to these anxiety attacks? Yeah. So yeah, it's taken me a long time to, to unpack this obviously. And I've been incredibly well for a long, long time. So um, really interesting. You spoke about, you know, getting the tools. So um, the first, so once I decided to work on my illness, the doctors then said to me, JK, having suicide ruminations, I think you should go on antidepressants. And I went, piss off. I'm not taking that. So this is the same athlete that if the doctor said, here's 400 milligrams of Altaran to play on Saturday, chuck it down my gob, mate. You know, you like a massage? Yeah, love a massage. I was the first one on the massage table, mate. We used to get that free, right? Yeah. And I'd go to the gym, right? Love the mirror too, by the way. But, you know, I'm doing all these things for my my physical health. And as soon as he said, take something for your brain, no way, man. Right? So I wouldn't do that. He said, you need to go and see someone as well, right? So here's the same guy, that first guy in the physio, if I've got a bit of a tight hamstring, blah, blah, blah. Right? Um, and so I say, no, I don't get any better. I have a better understanding of it, but I'm still suffering. So I start taking the uh, antidepressants. That was really interesting too, because I took it and I thought it'd be like an aspirin. I thought it'd be like the Voltaren. I think it would take the pain away. It didn't. Um, I actually had to try three different um, antidepressants before I found the right one for my sport, which was interesting. Um, but I still wouldn't go and see someone. So the so, so I, I pluck up some courage. And the first person I go to see, so JK, you're a volcano. Can you feel all that power inside you? Go down and get, I don't want to be a volcano, you dick. You know, I just want to get well. So the volcano guy and me, we didn't connect. Now I'm sure the volcano guy helped a lot of people because if you walk in and he relates to you, it's good. But for me at the time, it was like 10 steps backwards, right? Mm. I just didn't connect and I didn't, I wasn't into all that shit. Um, the second person, so that put me off for another three weeks. Anyway, I go back three weeks later and I walk in and this beautiful woman, Dr. Louise Armstrong, said to me, if you had a tight hamstring, JK, what would you do? Right? And I said, I'd stop and stretch it. Go. Okay, you get up and keep running and it gets really tight. What would you do? I said, I'd stop, ice it and go to the physio. She said, your brain's no different. <laughs> right? Um, and I went, wow, you know, I've got a hamstring in the head. And what's the ice and who's the physio? Right? Mm. But the ice, I was using alcohol as my ice, getting absolutely shit-faced. Um, and it was working for a few hours, but then the next day it would take me back 100 miles. So that was a bit of a, you know, a bit of an issue because I was getting relief from the pain, but then I knew that it was going to go backwards. So I knew that wasn't the ice. Um, and so what I found was I found the physio, which was Dr. Louise, who took me on a journey on how to understand my brain. And then I started working out what my ice was. And it's really interesting. You should talk about tools and you should talk about um, meditation. So if you can meditate, you should. It's absolutely amazing. But there's a percentage of people who shouldn't meditate. So when I go to Dr. Louise and say, look, I'd love to, I'd love to, um, you know, try, try these tools, right? And she said, why don't you go to meditation? Now, Brad, this is late 80s, mate. You know, if you did yoga back then, you're a dope smoking surfy freak. You know, there's no Lululemon back then. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you go to meditation, it's like, wow, shit, I'm going to get have to get dressed up, sit cross-legged on a bloody hill somewhere. You know, no knowledge <laughs> of it, no no idea. Um, and I went and it was terrible. So often with some of these things too, just remember that it doesn't, it's not failure. It's just understanding what's good and what's not good for you so like i say meditation is amazing but for me it made me anxious so i went back to her and she said oh jk you've probably got a ruminating mind right and i went well i can't even spell that so what does that mean she said well you've got a monkey brain just won't stop and i said oh should i i'll just call it bob the monkey right so how do i so when your computer craps out what do you do you restart it you Exactly. You turn it off and turn it on again, right? 
So if you've got a monkey brain, if you've got Bob the monkey in your head, how do you switch it on and switch it off? So what is my meditation? So the first thing she said to me is, um, you know, if you can find ways to active relax, then, you know, it'll be like your meditation. So there's three things I do, and I do it on a daily basis. And this is this is one of the six pillars um, that, that we do at Groove that I've done. So my mental health plan, my tools go around six, six pillars in the day, right? Um, so I cook, and you know what happens when I cook? Bob the monkey goes into his cage and has a banana and doesn't annoy me. You know what happens when I read a book before I go to sleep? Bob doesn't go, yoo-hoo, JK, we're in bed. I'm going to think about all sorts of dumb shit and keep you up for the next two hours, right? Um, so if I read, if I cook, and during COVID, I took up the guitar, right? Because um, I was sick of COVID taking shit away from me. So I wanted to take something back. I've always wanted to learn. It sounds like I'm killing a cat in the lounge, but Bob the monkey goes into his cage and has a banana, right? So I like it. those three things are my meditation. They're my act of relaxing. There's another thing that's really important. You've just said you're in a relationship, you know, and I'm sure that both of you guys at your age are really busy. So everyone's busy. You know, me and my wife are busy. So for your mental health, you've got to have two birds for one stone, right? So if I cook dinner, who do you think doesn't think I'm such a dick? Mm, wife, like two birds with one stone, you know? Um, one of the other pillars that I do is my move pillar, right? So I enjoy cycling because it's the best way to keep my weight off. Um, but also I love going for a walk with my wife, right? So that's the move pillar. I'm doing something for my physical health, but I'm also connecting with my wife because that's another pillar, connection, right? Mm. So if you build your day around the six pillars, then you can start you know, you can start going, oh, okay, well, yeah, I can do these two things and it's going to be good for me. Yeah, mate, I love that. And I'm very lucky, much like it sounds you are too, that I've got an incredible partner that is just there for all of those things and makes it a whole lot better. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Obviously, you're not a, you're not a doctor and, you know, you can only comment so much on medicine. I'm a butcher by trade, brother. A butcher by trade. Well, mate, you got more qualifications than I do. <laughs> Mate, I'm, I'd like to say I'm a storyteller by trade just because I've been yapping since I come out of the womb. Um, <laughs> but I'd be really interest, interested to hear your thoughts. I hear such conflicting things in the mental health space about the medication. You know, do you think there's purposes where it serves well, purposes where it doesn't? Is it a, is it something that everyone who, like I, I hear a lot of negative and a lot of positive. I'd just be interested to hear what your thoughts are. Um. So this is what I say. Um, you need to go on a journey of getting well. I think the earlier you get it, so let's say you're feeling, you've been feeling a bit anxious the last time and you fill your toolbox and you don't continue to get anxious, that's fine. Um, there's different stages of your illness. I was too far gone, I believe, not to try uh, whatever I needed to do. So the doctor explained it to me this way. JK, if you take an antidepressant, it will give you some balance to start working on your mental health. If you rely on the pill, you'd never get out of it. And the first mm -hmm. time I come off the pill, I went backwards because I hadn't actually, I hadn't actually gone in and 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 worked out why I was unwell, what I needed to do, and what my daily mental plan health plan was, right? Mm -hmm. um, the second time I went off it slower and I was way more um rounded and understanding my mental health, understanding how I need to look after it. So, you know, um, I, like to, I like to be a little bit more aggressive and say it's no one else's business. I like that. You know what I mean? Like, I mind think you're all very unique. Any other we? illness, right? You go to a specialist, you listen to them, right? Yeah. Um, go to a specialist in this field. Wait till you connect with someone because you might not get the first person, right? Mm. So connect with that person understand that person and then get advice. Like I used to be a sportsman, you know, like I was an all black, you get injured. You have people ringing you say, you know, I've got this, I've got this, um, I've got this boil up of plants, mate. It's going to fix you tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you've got to stay true to the people who you trust with your physical health. And it's the same um, with your mental health. Yeah. I love that. And I think we're also unique, aren't we? And that's something we often forget. We put ourselves in the same kettle of fish as everyone. And, and think that what works for one person will most definitely work for us or vice versa. And 
so true that we all respond differently. I, I really like what you've been saying about the journey of it and understanding that it's going to take work and it's not always, you know, the first answer you find is the right answer. It's not always the first person you find to, to speak to isn't always the right person. I think that a lot of people probably are discouraged by the fact that they land in a place in which that answer is worked for someone else, but are realizing that that's not working for them. And that's okay. It's just a part of the journey of finding what is working for you and what will work for you. You know, you know, prayer, meditation, uh, you know, religion, um, whatever those positive things are, if you get peace from it and you feel better afterwards and you feel it's getting you better, who am I to judge? Mm. Um, but I'm not going to preach to you about what you should do. I need to find that information myself and I need to try stuff. The only thing is when you're really unwell, you want to get well quick. It's hell in there, man. You know, I was so bad that I thought I had too much adrenaline going through my body because I was playing footy. So I went to the doctor and said to my doctor, who's a great mate of mine, uh, I think you should cut out my adrenal gland because I reckon that's causing my depression. <laughs> he said, shut up, JK, go home, you idiot. You know, <laughs> we didn't say like that, but um, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So we'll try anything, man, because it's hell, you know, yeah. it's hell in there. So we're, we're prepared to try all sorts of stuff to get us better, but it's a process and you have to sort of slow down if that makes sense and go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to logically look at this. Yeah, I really like that. I have to ask, mate, how much of your personal experience as an athlete who felt as though they couldn't be honest about, you know, their, their mental health because of the time of footy that you played in, in that era and wanted to help other people and didn't want to see other young guys go through the challenges that you did. How much of that was the inspiration to go into coaching? Um, ever lived the stereotype? <laughs> yeah, I get you. I yeah, get where you're going here. I was... I was your stereotype, you know, so I was brought up. I was brought up with a generation that turned into a stereotype that then turned into a whole lot of dumbass ads, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? normally beer ads. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, my parents were brought up in an era of non-communication and not showing weakness to your kids, right? Not their fault, but that's how I was brought up. So I never saw my dad cry, you know, um, actually never saw mum and dad hug or kiss or anything like that. And you know, maybe the odd kiss on the cheek, you know what I mean? But it, that didn't mean they didn't love me or love anyone any less. That's just the generation they got brought up in. And then that transformed into what I would say in New Zealand is rugby racing and beer, and that'd be Aussie as well, probably, uh, probably in the UK. And so there's become the stereotype about what a man is. Mm. Um, and I believe that, right? Um, you can't, you can't um, learn love out of a romance novel you know what I mean um so so for me I was living that stereotype that that was untrue and so for me one of the things one of the reasons why I wanted to coach was I'm a butcher and rugby has given me everything um I've lived in three countries I have friends in Italy France Japan um it's given me this incredibly rich life um and so I coached because I wanted every player that came into rugby, saw that opportunity to be a better person, to grow, to use the sport, to open their horizons. Um, it was always a sport for everybody. So it could bring people out of, out of different um, challenging situations. So that was the reason why I coached. Um, and the other reason I coached was I wanted to, to be way more emotional and way more vulnerable on how um, you should be approaching your life. The trouble was, mate, I was a shit technical coach. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the challenge, isn't it? I think to there's so much of a challenge that comes with changing the way that something's been done for so long. But on the other side of that, I can imagine it would be so rewarding, right? When you feel as though you're emotionally connected to the players who walk into the shed and and feel as though they can reach out to you and that you're a shoulder to lean on. I can imagine that for you, that would feel very rewarding and very fulfilling. I think it can only happen when you have success. So um, I was way better at it in Italy and I was way better at it in Japan because I was having the success that kept everything around me happy. Mm. Right? We were 
we were achieving our goals and things were good. I wasn't so good towards the end of my career when I was coaching the Blues because we were losing. I was under pressure. Um, there was a whole multitude of things going on. And what I did do in the early parts of my coaching career in New Zealand is um, I needed a bit more. I needed a few more things around me um, to make sure that I accentuated my strengths and my weaknesses were covered and I needed to be a lot more open about that. Right. So I think I lived in a certain way, a bit of a lie, because I thought the technical side was way more important. So I made a lot of mistakes. And I think how this relates back to life, you know, and you spoke about it before, how you're doing something, um, you're doing something at the moment because you need to do it. Right. But it doesn't feel like your authentic self. But mm. if you open and honest about why you're doing it, um, then you make peace with it right some people have a shit job all their lives but they're incredibly happy because they go and do 100 percent at work but it's not the be all and end all and then they have other things in their life that makes them very rich right mm. and so they have to do the nine and five i don't judge that but what i do say to people is work out what that is for you and don't ever not be your authentic self so i think i got away from being my authentic self um you know and it was incredibly painful when I failed once again. I've failed many times, but it was a great life learning for me, understanding the reasons why. And, and um, you know, when you lose a job, it's, you know, it's a little bit like grieving sometimes, you know, when it means so much to you. So at first I thought, oh, this is, this is not true. Someone's going to ring me and say, you know, you haven't lost your job. The, the second thing is, you know, I started blaming other people. It's the bloody ref, it's bloody players, it's bloody this, bloody that, you know, round three, that, you know. Um, and then the, th the third emotion was, I've never been good enough. Why did you even bother? You told yourself, you loser, blah, blah, blah. And then the fourth sort of emotion is, I had to make peace with all those other emotions, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And once I made peace with those emotions, then I could rationally look at some of the real reasons why I wasn't successful. And then you have a choice to, to make amends to that, to either grow or accept those things as something in your character that you're okay to live with. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. That makes any sense, Brad, because sometimes I waffle on. Mate. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense, mate, because I'm, I'm going to read you something that I put in my notes the other day. So, because I was thinking about, you know, what I shared with you, with you before about, you know, feeling like a little bit anxious at the moment because of the nine to five. I sat myself down, I thought, why am I feeling like this? Because this is not how I normally feel. And so I sat down and I, and I, one of the things for me that is a real tool is I journal a lot. Like I write pages after pages about right. how I'm feeling, where I'm at, where I'm headed, you know, what's going really well in my life, what's challenging me. And I sort of come up with this. I was feeling really insecure about a week or two, two ago where there was just some stupid shit coming into my head just around like the fact that I'm not good enough and, and these sort of things that you were saying just before. And this is basically what I come up with is that I feel my most insecure when I'm enduring a lifeless endeavor where my existence and my actions are out of line with my dreams and future capabilities in environments where passion and inspiration lacks. So do I without inspiration, the seeds of belief and confidence do not breach the soil. That little whisper of self doubt deep within my mind finds its voice and it is amplified. My sense of self is a product of my passion for life or in some cases lack thereof. And that's just been an observation for me throughout the course of really the last six or seven years of my life in where I found myself in a similar headspace to what I'm at now. And so for me, it's really, I have to ask myself the question, how can I show up and have passion and be inspired by what I'm doing and what my day-to-day -day looks like at the moment? And that's really easy for me when it comes to my relationship. Yeah. It's really easy for me when I sit behind a microphone or stand on a stage, because for me, I see my purpose in life right now when it comes to career is to uplift and inspire hope in others through story, whether that be sharing your story on this podcast or sharing mine. And in the areas of my life in which that lacks, I struggle with that a little bit at the moment. And Can so I ask you a question? Yeah, go for it. What is courage? Courage is stepping into the unknown, stepping into to fear, being able to to show up when it's tough. No, for me, yeah, I love you too. Because <laughs> I talk about these emotional words 
you are showing courage at the moment to work from nine to five to continue on your dream. So I'd be going to work from nine to five feeling like a hero because you are, right? Mm. But often we see those things as a failure or because we think, oh, I didn't want to go back to nine to five. I want to do this other stuff. But you're doing what you need to do. Um, and I think it is courageous. So, you know, for me, if you change the perception of things, then you go, actually, I'm being incredibly courageous. Do I want to work to nine to five? No, but how? I have to at the moment to, to, to make life a bit better for whatever reason. They're yours. Keep them personal, whatever, you know? And so when you said you went to nine to five, the first thing I thought, shit, what a courageous young man. You know, how good is that? Would I be prepared to do that? And the answer is, I don't know. But I would be driving to work feeling pretty damn good about myself, right? Mm -hmm. And it's okay to go just for money. Money's not a bad motivator, man, right? So you need the money at the moment, but be damn good at it. That's all I go. I'd say, okay, if I'm going to do this, be damn good at it. I do things in my life that I don't particularly like. It doesn't mean I can't be the best at it. Mm. So I want to tell you another little story because I'm a storyteller like yours. Please, yeah. Yeah, I go, and this this comes back to your self-doubt, and I've, and I've got a bit of a folder here I'm going to try and find in a minute. Um, so I go to my psychiatrist, you know, I've tried meditation, and then I've started to build this other stuff. She said to me, okay, how would you like to try self-hypnosis? I go, wow, that's weird, man. Remember, we're in the 80s, don't even, can't even do yoga. So hypnosis is like right out there. But I've already accepted my illness. So yeah, cool. So she said, what do you love doing? I said, well, I love surfing, right? Um, but during my illness, even when I went surfing, I didn't enjoy it. Because remember, depression takes your enjoyment and life away. Um, so we do this breathing exercise because I also learned how to box breathe with this other breathing exercise. And in my mind, she took me surfing. I did this thing with my hand, right? Which I think starts the hypnosis or whatever. Put my board shorts on in my head, run down the beach, feel the water, beautiful paddle out, two to three foot perfection. Got my longboard, got that, you know, that real gliding feeling in my head and I'm surfing really well, cross-stepping like, you know, and and so in my mind, I'm doing this. And, you know, after a, a little bit of that, she brings me brings me out of it. And I feel fantastic, right? When I was depressed, I'd have this cloud that had come over me. Sometimes I wake up and feel normal and then there'd be this cloud and this darkness on me. That was gone. Wow. So I went home and said to my girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, I'm going to try that. So I go upstairs a bit earlier that night, do my breathing, you know, um, do this thing with my arm in my mind, put the board shorts on, run down the beach feel the water paddle out, two to three foot perfection, four sharks in the water, shat myself and got out, <laughs> you know? So I didn't really know how to explain the fear that was circling in my head. And so the only way I can explain it is, what's it like swimming with a shark in the water? Yeah, you know, you've got this massive fear. And so that's what it was like. And so I went back to it thinking, you know, me and Jack Nicholson, I'm going insane, that's not normal. Um, but had the courage to tell her what was in my brain. And she said, no, JK, they're your sharks. Mm. talk to them get the teeth out of them and then get them out of the water so my first shark was i had a dumb shark right so i've never passed an exam in my life left school when i was 15 got told i was dumb at school my mates told me i was dumb my teachers told me i was dumb and so i'd walk into a room and feel dumb you think i'm dumb no not in yeah, the slightest you, you did pause a little bit then though mate yeah i had to really think about it <laughs> if i'm being honest <laughs> no but the trouble is that if you ask anyone around you, they'll tell you you're not dumb, but it was my shark. I had to deal with it. And often we see the beauty in others that they don't see in themselves, right? And when you're building a relationship, normally if you talk to your partner, she'll see the beauty in you um, that you don't see in yourself, right? Thank God in my case, but anyway. Yeah, I'm um, telling you, Safe reckons I'm the most handsome bloke getting around and I am I said, what goggles have you got on? Seriously. You go. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder, brother. Go with yeah. it, son. It's true, right? So so the, the second shark was an imposter shark, right? Um, my second shark that I had to deal with is I just thought I was lucky to achieve what I did on the sports field. I just thought I was lucky that I was an all black. I got the gift from someone else, you know, in a series of luck. Um, whereas the reality was I trained really hard. I had ability. I maximized that ability. But you told me at the time, no, I'm just lucky. When are they going to find out? When are they going to drop me? When's this going to run out, right? Um, and then the third shark, which is which is a really interesting one, is oh, I want to be liked shark, right? So I walk into a room, I want everyone to like me. So I'd be spending all this energy trying to be liked, right? 
And so you end up not being yourself because you're overcompensating because you want to be liked, right? Now I don't give a shit. Um, all I want is respect and I'll treat people with respect and, and deserve that back. And if I can build a beautiful new friendship, then I do. Um, and I'm doing that often. So, you know, and the last shark I had was a guilt shark. Um, so, you know, when you talk about, you know, that beautiful um, passage that you wrote about yourself, which is incredibly courageous in its own right, I, I you know, that self-doubt was in there, you know? Mm. So you got to unpack that a wee bit and think, you know, because if you ask, if you asked your, your partner or, or your friends or your parents or your family or whoever's close to you, you know, they'd be telling you how awesome you are, but you're not believing it, right? Yeah. Because you still haven't dealt with the shark yourself. And it's a funny thing because when I think about what you said there, and I guess there is a big part of me that like, I'm the biggest dreamer and I have the most self-belief when it comes to what I believe I can achieve. But sometimes I fail to see the value that I have in just where I'm at right now. You know, I think we all struggle with that, right? Like the idea of being a little bit proud of where we are at the present and being proud of how far we've come. My beautiful mum, who's passed now, um, I went to see her one night and I said, uh, mum, I'm dead. I'm dead inside, right? Um, she said, well, the good thing about that, son, is you're still here. <laughs> so, Thanks, mum. It's true. <laughs> Um, and she said, can you tell me anyone that can change yesterday? And I went, no, nah, mum, I can't. And she said, well, can you really tell me what uh, is going to happen tomorrow? And I went, no, nah, not really, mum. She said, well, just be great today. Right. And sometimes my great's average, but it's the greatest I can be. Right. And so capitalism drives you to be in the future. Um, so you've got to be careful because what are you driving for? So I was a massive dreamer, mate. I'm still a dreamer. You know what I dreamt about? Being an all black. I dreamt about being happily married. I dreamt about being healthy. And 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 um, and I dreamt about having a whole lot of people around me that, that love me. But often now we're getting pushed the capitalistic way, right? Um, shit, is my house big enough? Am I in the right neighborhood? Have I got the right car? You know? What about the mortgage? What about so? So I think um, another another saying that that was my beautiful dad who said to me. He said, um, "What success, boy?" And I said, "Well, I don't know, Dad. That's what I want to ask you because you're pretty damn awesome. You're a great dad." And blah, blah, blah. he said, "How many bastards want to carry out when you die?" I went, "Wow, that's interesting." And when my dad passed away, I had like fifty phone calls, people wanting to carry him out. And he said, "And just a footnote to that, son." Now he's having the flashes car in the car park of the cemetery. Yeah. So I think, and it's natural, but I think go on the journey, set your goals, be, be an overachiever, be a dreamer, but don't forget the journey. Like today's yeah. a good day, man. Like, um, and that's why the mental health, the, 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 the six pillars in the mental health are really, really important. So two of the other pillars, you know, are celebrate and enjoy, but that's today. So what am I going to celebrate today? Well, my daughter, my beautiful daughter's just got married. She's been on a honeymoon. She's coming back from her honeymoon today and I'm picking her up at 10 o'clock tonight. I can't wait, right? But you might be looking forward to opening a new book. You might be looking forward to just going for a walk, right? And what am I going to enjoy today? I'm actually going to enjoy um, playing the guitar tonight because I've got this little window and I think, shit, I'm going to try and play the guitar. But I do that on a daily basis. You should have something to celebrate every day and you should have something to look forward to, but they don't have to be these massive things. Yeah, it's it's beautifully said. And it's all stuff that we're told, but we need to put into practice, right? And that's the biggest challenge of life always is to to not just have the intent, but back it up with action. And I think that sometimes, you know, so I was born with cystic fibrosis and I am a credit to my two amazing parents, my sister, who just instilled all the belief in me that I could be, anything that I wanted to be in life, despite what doctors thought in the first couple of months of my life. And my first effort specialist said to my parents that I'd be better off with a terminal illness. Cystic fibrosis would kill me or ruin my life. And my parents said, fucking you watch us. And they walked out of his office and never seen him again and decided to find a doctor who was positive. And so I took on that mentality that you fucking watch me. You watch me go and achieve things and stay healthy and prove you wrong. And I'll show up and do what I've got to do in my life. And I think that in that mindset, it's been 
been such a strength that I can go, no, I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe that I'm destined to do great things and I'm going to strive towards that all the time. But sometimes in striving to, towards something, like you said, if you can get to be exactly where you are and to embrace well, exactly like, what you're doing. Problem, mate. Thank you for sharing that. And I do believe, if I remember rightly, there's been some really good um, movement forward in the cystic fibrosis space in the last month or so, isn't there? Hugely, the last couple of months, um, some incredible yeah. drugs that have helped yeah. big time. And, and and I'm one of the recipients of one of those drugs that awesome. um, keep my lungs pretty stable and pretty healthy these days. That's good, eh? Oh, mate, incredible. Hope, hope's, hope's one of the most powerful things that that you can actually ever do. And I think, so, you know, habitual change is hard, man. You know, you hear all this shit, right? You listen to this podcast and you go, yeah, shit, on, I'm, I'm going to try and do that. And then tomorrow you got another 200 emails, you're busy, shit happens, right? That's why habitual change in your day is really, really important. And that's why we created Groove because, you know, the six pillars, if you can put them into your day and make habitual change, then that's mental health, right? Um, some of it is, is really easy. doesn't take a lot of time. Like for me, um, I do not take this thing to my coffee date. Mm. Right? It's a shit coffee date. Because all of a sudden you'll start replying to people, looking at internet, doing shit, and you don't even taste your coffee, right? And you deserve three minutes without your phone having coffee or whatever you want to do, right? But you, but because of the capacity in our brains now, we've got to start making those habitual change. And what I say to people is dot, right? You know what dot is? Talk to me. What is it? Just do one thing. That's all I want you to do. So tomorrow, just do one thing right mm. once you've done dot do that right <laughs> do another thing yeah but until you've done don't do that till you've done dot you know what i'm saying yeah i like it but you know you you haven't been to the gym for six months you go to the gym you work out so hard you can't even sit on the toilet you know we don't want that you don't go back for another three months we want you to do one little thing in your day and make it habitual and then once you've made it habitual put something else in right you know you've started meditation beautiful right put something else in as well i'm going to have a coffee or i'm going to have a walk we're not going to take our phones or i'm going to listen to music whatever it is i don't give a shit did you know that knitting's really good for your mental health right probably would save me a couple bucks on the cardi too yeah, that's what i'm saying i mentioned that on purpose actually i will say though shout out to um joshy hairs porter james sport a, a fellow kiwi who made this cardi far better than i ever could joshy i love your brand mate I, I love what you're saying here, mate, because I think it's just so important. There's a quote that sums it up really well for me. James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits, and I've shared the shit out of this quote in the last couple of months on the podcast because it's just reigned true to me. But um, he says that we rarely rise to the level of our goals, but rather fall to the level of our systems. And I think the dot and dat really speak to the systems that we put in place that are very achievable and very attainable. And and allow us to feel as though we have that consistency in, in the tools and the way that we um, use those tools every day. And I'm definitely going to think a little bit about what we've said today in how I can implement some better practice into my life to be less distracted and more present. Yeah, I think, look, look I started with a hot shower. You mm. know, mom said to me, what have you got to look forward to tomorrow? And I said, nothing, mum. She said, well, smell the roses, you know. And I drove home thinking, what's that? And so... Every day of my life, I start it with a shower, but I feel the water, right? Do you deserve, Brad, three minutes of your day to feel the water? 100%. You know what else they call that? Mindfulness. Mm. Right? And then I go downstairs and I have a cup of coffee and I read the newspaper, right? And all of a sudden, I'm starting my day with two mental health things. People say, JK, is that mental health? I should, should yes, it's mental health. So I'm being mindful in the shower and I really look forward to it. Then I go and have a cup of coffee and I read the newspaper. And you know what that does as well? It doesn't make me feel so dumb. So it deals with my dumb shark. <laughs> so two birds with one stone again, you know what I mean? But yeah. for you, it might be getting up and, and looking outside or walking out. I don't know. There are no rules to this. Just start thinking about the six pillars and then, you know, start building your six pillars around what you do. Like I said, I read this article the other day. Knitting is really good for you. Hmm. You know, what's funny, JK, what you're saying here um, could be summed up by an Italian statement that I think I'm going to butcher here, but Dolce 
niente, if I'm saying that correctly, which is the sweetness of doing nothing. Mm-hmm. It's essentially not doing nothing, but just being mindful and present in what you're doing right in that moment, which we do not have that skill today, as you said, because of our phones and the social media and all of that stuff. I wonder how has it been for you, obviously living between NZ and Italy, when you go over to Italy, when you're over there for work and, and you're in that environment, have you noticed distinct differences between the way that they live there and the way that we live here? Um, yeah, totally. So they work to live, mm. right? So they work, but life must be a big part of it. Um, so they have a really interesting life around getting together and having food, so breaking food. Um, and I think that generally gives you a, a really good emotional and simple enjoyment. Second thing is they're way more emotional, so they don't hold anything in. Whereas um, I feel that we, um, you know, we sort of live to work. So, you know, you've got to put your social life in a diary now, you know, mm. and I sum that up like I haven't seen my mates for a long time. We try and coordinate diaries. Yeah, I'm busy here. Yeah, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, right? In Italy, I flew in six weeks ago and my wife and I went into town for a spritz and within half an hour, my friends were there, right? And so I think we need to be careful not to be driven too far down the capitalistic way of living um it's been really interesting for me because i've been reassessing what i do and trying to minimize the stuff i need in my life you know um because i think sometimes i do get a bit capitalistic you know um whereas a lot of my friends we live way more simply than i do but they have a way richer social life right um is there a contrast for you jk between what your life looks like in italy and what it looks like in nz Totally. Mm. Totally. Totally. Is that that driven by the expectations you feel when you're at home in New Zealand, as opposed to the freedom and understanding you have in Italy to be a little less stressed, a little less full on, um, to say yes to less things and just to be present socially and present in your life? Yeah, it's a really good question because you always fall in love with the country on holiday and right, Mm. (laughs) you know? Um, whereas, yeah, I think, I think for me, it's about, um, self-observation and really understanding that question you asked me, but ask it of myself. Am I enjoying this because I'm on holiday, I'm here, or actually is it, is it the way I want to live? And why then when I go back to my country, do I do this? Is that because I'm greedy? Is that because I'm going too far down the capitalistic pathway, you know? Um, And so those type of questions I'm asking myself now, what sort of life do I actually want to lead um, for the next 10 years? I often have changes in my life every 10 years for some reason. I think it's been just for a whole lot of different reasons. But um, so I'm starting to ask myself those questions now and trying to work through the answers and make sure I make the right decision. And the second thing I need to do is have courage to to um, to listen to the answer. So when I spoke to you about courage before, you know, you, my courage for you at the moment is doing nine to five because that's what you have to do. My courage might be um, giving up my current life and going back and living in Italy for at least two years to see where I'm happiest, right? Mm. And I might not, I might get over there, it might not work out, but I don't want to be asking myself when I'm 70, what if? You know what sticks out for me there, JK? Because I love that. And, you know, I look back and I've made a lot of, like I'm only 27, I've made a lot of changes in my life over the last couple of years. Like I left my job to pursue this for a while, three and a half years ago, sold my house so that I could afford to live for a little while, like threw myself into it and was just happy to accept the consequences either way, because I needed to figure out what that looked like for me and where I was happy and purposeful. And I think that sometimes as humans, we fool ourselves to think that when we make a decision, it's stuck for life. That like, you can't go over and just be present in Italy for two years and figure it out and go, well, this was the right thing or it was the wrong thing. And now I'm going to change it up and go and figure it out again. Like I think that we, we often confuse it, that we 
can't make changes that we're stuck. So you saw, like my dad, once again, my beautiful dad, you know, I got offered to go and play rugby in Japan while I was at the Warriors playing rugby league. And I went to my dad and I said, dad, you know, I never, never thought I'd get offered to go and play rugby in Japan. And I actually thought I'd always say no. And my dad said to me, when you're my age, son, and you look back on life, three years is nothing, right? Um, there is no such thing as failure in life. It's mm. only if you create that in your mind, right? So I don't believe in failure at all. I believe in experiences not making the same mistake twice, but I do not believe in failure. And it's really interesting when I'm talking to my kids, you know, um, what if I don't make it, Dad? What if I... What if I don't get to where I want to get? And I'll say, you'll know. <laughs> you'll know your level. You'll know whether it's for you or not. You'll know whether, you know, um, but don't let the doubt stop you being the best that you can be. Mm. If you can beat the doubt and just, and, and I'll talk about rugby, say, or, or hockey or soccer, right? You, 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 you start out wanting to be um, Sonny Bill Williams, but you actually end up being semi-professional and playing for your club side for 10 years. That is an absolutely freaking amazing career where you would have built a community, the club will love you, your people, you've got lots of friends, you know. Why do we think success is always, you know, the top 3%? It's not. Um, so there's no failure. There's no shit. I know that now. Okay, well, um, I'm going to try something else. And you take all that knowledge with you. So I don't believe in failure. I love, have you seen the movie Little Miss Sunshine? No. Um, great movie made probably 20 odd years ago now. Well, maybe not even, 10 years ago now. And there's a moment in that movie where the little girl says to her pop, she goes, Poppy, am I a loser? And he goes, are you trying? And she goes, yeah, I'm trying. He goes, well, you're not a loser. Mm. And for me, that's just like the most beautiful way to sum it up. I think to be courageous enough to use that word that you've mentioned a couple of times to go and try. Yeah. To understand that it doesn't always work out the way that we've seen it. Um, but as long as you're trying to work it out. It does. Even success doesn't. A hundred percent. Like yeah. nothing should work out the, uh, uh, the way you planned it because life gets in the way. Things change. Yeah. You know, like, I'm into that. No way. Uh, so we often mask success um, and we think about what success has brought us, but we don't think think about the trials and tribulations because where we set out or the different direction that we had to take to get there. So, mm. you know. Yeah, I love it. Whereabouts in Italy do you live when you're over there? A place called Treviso, which is about 25 minutes out of Venice. Very nice. And you, and you love it there? Yeah, I love it there, yeah. Got lots of friends, spent 20 years there, yeah. How do you reckon I'd land if I sent the club a bit of a pitch for me to come on and be full-time morale booster? You'd be Take good me- yeah, you reckon you reckon I'm half a chance? But half a chance, mate. I tell you. I said, I, Soph and I always talk about it. I like, I love Italy. I've been over, I've been lucky to spend a couple of weeks over there a few years back. And it's one of those places, it's hard to wipe a smile off your face when you're in Italy. Exactly. The pasta tastes better, the pizza's great. Exactly. It's, um, it's a very nice place to be. Mate, I'm, I'm really blessed to have had you on here. I don't want to hold you up for too long. I know that you're a busy cat. But I guess I want to give you an opportunity just as one final message for the people who are listening. I think this has been both for me and I can imagine for everyone who's tuned in, just really moving. I think the way that you speak from your own lived experience has a real heap of power and it really hits home. Is there any message that you'd want to share with anyone tuning into the pod just to encourage them to act on that message and make it a part of the fabric in which they live their life? Be great today. Be great today. That's all. Sometimes I lie in bed and I haven't been that great, but I tried. Mm. <laughs> trying, sweetie, are you trying? Yeah. And so um, I try and be the best me every single day. And what normally happens is if you try and be the best you every single day and you live by your core values, um, then the good days outnumber the bad days. Please create yourself a daily mental health plan. Please do that. And it's really simple. Um, and if you do that, um, then the days just stack. And all of a sudden, you've had a week and you've had, you know, five really good days and two average days. Well, that's winning, man, you know. Mm. Um, and thank you for your time, mate. I think time is is a precious commodity. 
So I want to thank you for having me on your podcast because time is really, really important. And um, one of the things that is really important for me is my mum died um, and we had a great funeral for her. And everyone came up to me and said, we loved your mum. I said, I love my mum too. Why do you love my mum? And they all said, because she gave us time, right? We'd stand there and it was like we're the only people in the world. And so what is the world taking away from us? Time. Yeah. So give time to yourself. Give time to someone who you love. And make sure you treat it like the commodity that it is. It's precious. So, Mate, thanks. I really appreciate those kind words. I have to say that for me, the thing that is the most human in all of us is that connection. Connection to other people. Connection to stories and our own story. And the way that we... We can sit across from someone, you know, hopefully in real life more often than not, but even, you know, on something like Zoom where I can sit across from you, look you in the eye, hear your words, take them on, try to understand them and, and see in, in how they can make me a better man in my life and how I can show up better for myself. And mate, I'm just really grateful. We've had the opportunity to connect. I'm going to make sure that everywhere that the audience can find you is linked in the show notes. I'll have links to things like Groove so that, People can connect with the amazing work you're doing. And mate, I just want to formally on the podcast, wish you all the best with these next stages and, and make sure that you keep an eye out on your emails for my full-time morale booster application over there in Italy. Mate, I reckon, you, I reckon you'll nail it. <laughs> I'm a shoo-in, surely. You're shoo-in, mate. You got it already. Start getting your visa ready, son. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let the missus know. Yeah. Thanks, JK. Hey, and don't forget to try yeah. some red wines. Otherwise, you'll be unprepared when you get there. So I actually don't drink. So I'm a cheap date, mate. I'm a cheap yeah. date. Nice. Nice. I'll go with you then. <laughs> Beauty. Mate, thank See you, you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it, and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I wanna pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history and storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.